This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 16. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's topic, contesting excessive expert deposition fees. So in today's episode, we talk about what to do when your opponent's experts want exorbitant fees before they'll sit for your deposition. And I've really got an excellent case for you that outlines the problem, including a November 18, 2020 order that resolves the issue uh, rather definitively. So I'll talk about the facts of that case and how the dispute evolved, and I'll end this episode with six practical tips on how to deal with this kind of problem yourself. By way of background, and as you may know, you're generally going to have to pay the cost of deposing another party's expert. Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 26B4E and its state equivalents is what creates that obligation for you. In a nutshell, and I'm paraphrasing, it says that you cannot conduct discovery at your adversary's expense. So if you're going to take the deposition of an opponent's expert, you've got to pay for the cost of doing so. You don't want to depose the expert? Fine. But if you do, you're going to pay the cost of that deposition. On the other hand, the rule I just cited says that the cost has to be reasonable. Now, if you've done any kind of litigation at all involving experts, you'll know that there's a cottage industry of expert witnesses that make a very nice living from testifying in depositions. They make that living by charging as much as they possibly can get away with. Not all of them, but many. And you probably know there are expert witness services, websites that you can dial in, tell them what you want, and they'll find the experts for you. But you've got to be mindful of what that contract says that the service provides you because ultimately you are the one who is potentially responsible for the entire amount. And you may wind up paying your experts more than what a court may require the adversary to pay for deposing them. For example, if you've agreed to pay $1,000 an hour in that contract and a court ultimately finds that the actual reasonable rate for the expert is half that, you might get stuck with the $500 an hour difference. So don't assume that a judge is going to award you your expert's full contract rate just because that's what you agreed to pay. And that takes us to the case we're going to discuss today. It's uh, The title of the case is Drashawn Bartlett. It's D-R-A-S-H-A-W-N-B-A-R-T-L-E-T-T versus Correct Care Solutions et al. Federal case number 3-18-CV-87 out of the Western District of Kentucky. You'll find the November 18, 2020 Memorandum Opinion and Order, which decided the dispute here at 2020 Westlaw 678. 5104. So let's talk a little bit about that case. The plaintiff, an inmate at a state prison in Kentucky, alleges that the contract medical provider for the state showed deliberate indifference toward him because, the plaintiff says, the medical provider did not timely provide health care services and as a result the plaintiff suffered physical harm. Both the plaintiff and the defendant in this case are represented by counsel and the case remains pending. During the course of this lawsuit, the plaintiff's counsel hired an online expert witness locator service, which apparently, in turn, then located and chose two doctors that would serve as experts on the medical care that the plaintiff-slash-inmate received. This online expert service then invoiced the plaintiff for flat rate fees and a minimum prep charge for each of the two experts that it located. The problem in this case relating to the charges surfaced when the defense lawyers attempted to schedule the two experts for deposition and learned that the experts were apparently operating under a contract of what the defense lawyers thought were 
unusually high rates. According to the contracts, each of the two experts would charge a flat rate of $4,000 for a half-day deposition or whatever lesser portion of a half-day they were deposed. Each expert would also charge a flat rate of $1,200 for preparing for the depositions. Now, the contracts, which were filed with the court, uh, do not say how much a full day is, but assuming that a full day is twice the rate of a half day, then under these contracts, the cost of four hours plus a minute through the end of the day, in other words, anything more than how a half day is defined, would then be $8,000 per expert witness plus each witness's $1,200 prep fee. The expert witness services invoice required payment of at least $5,200 in advance, uh, apparently presuming that the deposition would not exceed what the contract defined as one half day. So if we do the math, that's $10,400 for two half day depositions or potentially close to $20,000 if both depositions ran four hours and a minute or longer. So defense counsel says, no, we're not going to pay that and attempted to resolve it with the plaintiff's lawyers. Long story short, the lawyers for each party were not able to resolve the dispute. They have a conference call with the federal district judge to discuss it. And apparently during that status call, the judge uh, determined that the requested flat rates were patently unreasonable under federal rule 26B4E. And that's the rule that basically says a party deposing an expert is obligated to pay a quote, reasonable, unquote, fee. So the district judge, at least at that point, called foul on the proposed fee arrangement. And in her October 20, 2020 order, Judge Regina Edwards ordered the parties, the lawyers for the parties, to confer with the experts and attempt to negotiate a reasonable hourly rate for their depositions. In other words, the judge was making clear at that point that she was not going to accept the invoices flat rate arrangement and she asked the parties to file a joint status report after their negotiations with the expert to apprise her as to what the outcome was. Now, it appeared that the lawyers for both sides took a good faith run at trying to resolve it, but they subsequently filed a joint status report advising Judge Edwards that they were not able to agree on reasonable rates for the experts as well as who should pay them. So the parties jointly asked the court for an opportunity to brief the issue and let the judge decide. And of course, that's exactly what happened. Uh, in the defendant's memorandum, they noted that the experts in these consultations apparently took the positions that their proposed flat rates were reasonable and that they were entitled to the full amount outlined in the invoices. According to the defendant's briefing, the experts also took the position that if the court set a lower compensation rate uh, than the contract required as a result of this discovery dispute, then the difference between the lower rate in the contract and what the judge awarded would have to be paid by the plaintiff. And the plaintiff, uh, for his part, the defendants noted, was indigent and so couldn't pay the difference. In that same memorandum, the defendant cited to Rule 26B4EI, correctly noting that the rule says that unless manifest injustice will result, the court must require that the party seeking discovery pay the expert a reasonable fee, emphasis on reasonable, for time spent in addressing the discovery. So footnote here, if you're seeking to depose an opposing sides expert, you are going to pay the tab as long as the tab is reasonable. Otherwise, courts say it would be unfair to require a party who's hired an expert to pay for the discovery needs that the opposing side wants or vice versa. Plaintiff takes the deposition of a defense expert. 
that tab is going to be paid for the deposition by the plaintiff. But as the defendant noted in its memo, this rule contains two critical limitations on what you have to pay an expert. First, the court can't stick a party with the cost of an expert's fees if doing so, however the fees are calculated, would result in manifest injustice. Second, the expert's fees have to be reasonable. And if they're not, of course, the district judge has the discretion to limit or alter the charges for the expert's uh, work. And of course, the judge will consider all kinds of factors in figuring out what, what's reasonable, such as the expert's training, education, experience, prevailing market rates, and the complexity and nature of the case. Now, in this defense memo, they go on to say there's no real uniform test under the rule for figuring out what a reasonable expert rate is. And of course, that's absolutely correct. But they do go on to cite some of those factors. The ones that we just talked about, complexity of the case, the expert's actual area of expertise, their education, training, and the fee actually charged to the party who hired the expert, meaning that if you hire an expert at a lower rate than what your expert wants to charge the opponent, the court can take that into account. Judges will also, of course, typically take a look at what the fees are that are traditionally charged by experts in this type of case and any other factors that the judge wants to take into account. So uh, the defendant in this case essentially concludes by saying that what the plaintiff's experts want to charge isn't anything close to what's reasonable. Plaintiff filed their own memorandum and, of course, uh, opposed the position taken by the defense, and the plaintiff made two primary arguments. One was that the expert fees were, in fact, reasonable, and they spent some time talking about the backgrounds of the experts that they hired. So they're principal argument was that the fees being charged by these two experts were in fact reasonable given their backgrounds. The other point made by the plaintiff, and remember that he's incarcerated, is that he is indigent and that shifting any excess fees, meaning those charged by the experts in the invoice above anything that the court deemed reasonable, that um, shifting those back on the plaintiff would, would result in manifest injustice. So there the plaintiff is essentially saying, look, even if these fees are excessive, it wouldn't be fair for me to have to pay them because I'm in prison and I don't have any money. All right, so now we have the perspectives of both parties, and let's turn to uh, Judge Regina Edwards' November 18 ruling, where she resolved the issue. First, she points out that she had been alerted to this dispute uh, months earlier and that she had given the parties an opportunity to resolve it on their own now saying, I'm going to resolve this for you, having been advised that the two of you can't reach agreement yourselves. And the judge, uh, not surprisingly, sided with the defense. In her order, she cites Rule 26B4E, which is the provision that talks about manifest injustice and so on. Uh, so the judge says, all right, first, we've got the provision that says the party seeking the discovery is going to pay the bill. So if you're taking the expert deposition, generally speaking, you're going to pay the cost of the expert's charges. Again, agreeing with the defense, the court says that while this language is mandatory, there are two exceptions. One is that manifest injustice must not result from enforcement of the rule, and the other is that the fees have to be reasonable. In the same breath, seemingly, Judge Edwards says that the burden of proving the reasonableness falls on the party whose expert fee is in question. And on the issue of reasonableness, uh, the judge says, uh, she starts by noting that one thing courts have consistently held is that flat fees for expert depositions are inherently unreasonable on their face. 
because there has to be a reasonable relationship between the services provided and what the expert is paid. The judge says a flat fee which requires payment regardless of the actual services rendered just doesn't meet that standard. Uh, the judge also cites some really good cases to the effect that even advance payment to experts is often disfavored because there's really no way in advance to figure out how long the deposition is going to last. So the judge says uh, in conclusion that the plaintiff had failed to show that a departure from her previous finding that the expert rates were unreasonable uh, is justified. I point out that the judge specifically says that she's not questioning the qualifications, training, experience of the experts in question, simply that their expertise alone didn't make the extraordinary fees reasonable. Uh, the court also rejected the plaintiff's reference to a website apparently run by what appeared to be yet another expert witness finder service, which the judge said allegedly compiles national averages uh, for the hourly rates of certain expert witness specialties. The judge says in a nutshell, we don't really know where this information came from, so we can't simply credit the website's claim that $930 an hour was a reasonable rate for these witnesses. I should also note that the judge, I suspect to put things in context, uh, took pains to point out that this case involved an allegation that the plaintiff dislocated his finger playing basketball in prison, that the plaintiff received outside surgical consultations six weeks after the injury, and that the plaintiff eventually had corrective surgery. The judge also pointed out that the expert file that the plaintiff submitted was apparently 76 pages of medical records and I took that uh, to mean that the judge thought that this was not a terribly complicated issue. So the judge essentially concludes by saying to the plaintiff, look, your experts stood firm on their flat fees, even though I cautioned you that I thought that their rates were excessive, they simply refused to budge. So the judge says, because the proposed rates don't appear to bear any relationship to the work to be done, and because the plaintiff just fell short in showing that the rates were reasonable, the defendant was not going to be required to pay the rates being charged by the plaintiff's experts. The judge did uh, some analysis of the experts' backgrounds and the complexity of the case, as I mentioned, and said that $500 an hour for the actual time spent testifying was reasonable for one of the experts, and $400 an hour for actual time testifying was reasonable for the other expert. And the judge also set those hourly rates as governing prep time by the experts as well. One other interesting aspect of the order is worth mentioning. As I uh, indicated earlier in the podcast, one of the arguments made by the plaintiff was that because he was indigent and incarcerated, that to the extent that the court awarded an hourly rate to the experts that was less than what the contract provided, that the plaintiff shouldn't be obligated to pay that. And the judge essentially said this, while it is unfortunate that the disparity between the reasonable hourly rates and the expert's flat fees under the invoice might well fall on the plaintiff. He had the ability to contract with whatever expert he wanted, and he can't choose experts with exorbitant rates and then rely on his indigent status to push those rates onto an opposing party. Judge said allowing that kind of behavior would essentially result in exactly the kind of manifest injustice that the rule forbids. And that's where we end up. So let's summarize. Number one, if you're going to depose another party's expert, you want to get your information as early as possible on who their experts are and what they plan to charge. Number two, if the rates seem exorbitant or if the expert wants payment in advance, substantial payment in advance, I suggest you do your best to negotiate 
and to create a paper trail when doing so. Third, uh, it's a fact that some experts do want some portion of the payment in advance. I guess it makes sense so that if the opposing party basically skips out on the rest of the bill, the expert will have at least gotten something for their time. So I get that. You may wind up having to pay or cut a check for something uh, to get the ball rolling. Fourth, if you can't reach agreement on the terms of compensation for the expert, you're going to file your motion under Federal Rule of Civil Procedure or its state equivalent 26B4E which is the rule that requires that the expert fees be reasonable. Now file that before the deposition so you know what you and your client are going to be ordered to pay. Fifth, in your papers, you're going to want to quote, of course, case law on the rule, cases against the payment of flat fees, and cases on how judges uh, determine a reasonable fee for the experts given all of the factors that might apply. And sixth, I should tell you that the filings by both parties in the Bartlett case and the rulings by the court will do an excellent job of getting you started on your research if this turns out to be an issue for you. And with that, it's a wrap. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and we sure appreciate a five-star review because it helps keep us going and will encourage others to give us a listen.